hunting isn't just us going out and killing an animal. There's so much more to it than just that. You know, we're not going out just killing an animal. We're not going out to just shoot it. There's a certain respect, especially with bow hunting, that I found more so than rifle hunting. And I'm not taking away from rifle hunting whatsoever. I just, being a person that has done both, I find a very more personal experience with animals while bow hunting. You know, you got to get up within 50 yards of an animal and that's so much more of a personal experience than having a rifle and taking a shot 400 yards away, you know? All of us archers, we've done it, you know? We've taken a shot on an animal and haven't retrieved the animal. I'd like to think that we've all done it. And I don't want to bring up like big names, but I, I feel like all of them have had failure stories that have led to their great success, you know? And that, that's something I try to keep with me is failure does lead to success. With elk, when you're putting a stock on them, the quieter you are, the more alert those elk are gonna be. So if you're just walking and you don't care how quiet you are and you give off cow chirps here and there, they're yeah, just they gonna assume. It's another elk. Exactly, especially if you if you got the wind right, they can't smell you. You take a stock on those bulls and get within range and the wind is on your side, I would be, I would act like an elk and give off chirps. Whereas mule deer, you gotta be quiet. So water is always a big thing. If there is just even the smallest amount of water, I'll start at springs or I'll go on Onyx maps and literally zoom in and study the maps just square foot by square foot, looking for potential water troughs or any source of water that these deer can be getting water from because every species, every animal needs water. Hey guys, I wanna start off by thanking you for keeping me on the air since 2004. I'm trying to keep everything fresh and keep bringing you content that is both enjoyable and informational. So if you can help me out by hitting me up on Instagram or Facebook and giving me some suggestions for guests, topics, and questions, I'd really appreciate it. Also, you've heard me say this, but please, 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 please take a few moments to give me a review on iTunes. It's so important to keeping me on the air. So if you want this podcast to stick around, please get on there and drop me a line. Lastly, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Been title sponsor of the show for a long time. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything they offer. All right, let's get into this next episode. Welcome to Days in the Wild, Big Game Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we're going to talk about mule deer, and Jess, I got to, I, I apologize. How do I, I don't even know how to pronounce your last name. It's Reveal. It like, reveal. I reveal to you that's, my last name. That's what I thought it was. I didn't want to butcher it, though. I was like, eh, it could be Revel. I don't know. <laughs> nope, not Revel. It's okay. Reveal. Okay. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's pretty sweet. I mean, not, not as cool as mine, but you know, it's cool. <laughs> hey, my maiden name was pretty cool too. We we don't even have to get started into that, but I was a hot rock. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was Firestein. Firestein. Okay. Gotcha. Firestein. Yeah. That's my, my OG original name. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself and, uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So like you said, um, Jessica Reveal. I live out here in Southern Utah. Um, I've been out here for about 10 years now. I grew up hunting with my dad out 
in Missouri. We did the whole white tail redneck sit in a tree stand in your blue jeans, drinking beer, you know, the whole, the whole fun thing out there and never knew what a bow was until I got out here to Utah and met my husband and he got me into bow hunting, showed me, you know, exactly what a bow was. And from there I got obsessed with it and went and got my first muley when I was eight months pregnant with my daughter. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that was a tough one. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Hiking pregnant. through those mountains. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it sucked too because every bump that we would hit in the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Whew, I would have to pee like every two seconds. Hey, Brock, pull over. I got to pee. Hey, Brock, pull over. I got to pee. So it made hunting a little bit difficult. Okay. But, you know, from there, I got to share it with my dad. Um, I kind of introduced the archery hunting with him. I was like, hey, dad, come over here. Let's go elk hunting and I'm going to use a bow this time instead of a 30-06 and we'll see how that goes. And like I said, just from there, I got obsessed with it and nice. got dove deeper into the industry, dove deeper into what it means to be hunting, archery hunting in general, what it means to know about the animal you're hunting, the species you're hunting. There's so much more that goes into hunting than what people tell you or what people even realize. and that's what got me obsessed with it was what else can I learn? What else don't I know? You know? Yeah. Well, you said so. it in the beginning. You're like, I did the whole redneck thing. And that's the picture. That's the picture yeah. that is painted of the modern hunter by the anti-hunting establishment. Exactly. You know, it's like most people's, most, most non-hunters don't understand and they don't even, never even heard about a hunter or what, how a hunter really works. I mean, obviously they know they've heard the word hunter, but they mm -hmm. have no clue what a hunter is until it's, they're introduced to it by the anti hunting. They're always getting to the middle ground before we are. And then, and, oh, yeah. and, and painting that picture, you know, we're all a bunch of Elmer fuds or toothless hillbillies running around willy nilly shooting shit, drinking beer and, so <laughs> right you know, with overalls on exactly exactly <laughs> good so, old earl dibbles over here yep exactly <laughs> so you know it's it, you yourself growing up as a hunter that's what you thought might have been hunting you know and then you got introduced to this whole different world and you know it's hard it's hard to get people to understand what that is and but it's i'm glad that you've uh you found the way <laughs> Yeah. And that's kind of how I wanted, you know, in a way to, to start out in this industry. I want people to learn like hunting isn't just us going out and killing an animal. It's, there's so much more to it than just, just that. Um, you know, that's something like a lesson I want to teach my daughter too. You know, we're not going out just killing an animal. We're not going out to just shoot it. There's a certain respect, especially with bow hunting. Mm -hmm. that I found more so than rifle hunting. And I'm not taking away from rifle hunting whatsoever. I just, being a person that has done both, I find a very more personal experience with animals while bow hunting. You know, you got to get up within 50 yards of, of an animal. Uh, sometimes you can, you, you can get away with getting further, you know, with mm. an elk, I would be comfortable being 60 yards or lower from an elk. Mule deer, I, I've taken shots and harvested mule deer at 80 yards. But, I mean, 
it's always within I within 80 yards for me. And that's, that's so much more of a personal experience than having a rifle and taking a shot 400 yards away, you know? Right. Um, right. And not to mention the work you put into making that shot and getting that close to that wild animal because it's not easy. It's a wild animal. So mm-hmm. there's just so much more that goes into archery hunting. I feel as an archer than sitting in a tree stand with a rifle. But again, yep. all types of hunting are amazing. If you're out there doing what you're doing, you're out there in the tree stand, you're out there spot and stock, you're out there with a the muzzle loader, anything. If you're out in the mountain, then you're doing it right for sure. Right. Yeah. So again, the, you brought sitting in a tree stand and all that. I, I grew up doing that too. Uh, mm-hmm. Much like you, I was born on the, I was, wasn't born in the Midwest, but I was born on the East coast. So, you know, similar tactics sitting in a tree stand and I still do, I mm-hmm. still do that. And the way I equate it is tree stand hunting is like a chess game mm-hmm. and like hunting out west in the mountains is like a football game. Like, <laughs> I could see that. There's strategy. You know, obviously, there's strategy in football, and there's, you know, you want to pick the right plays and do the right things, but it's way more physical, right? You know, mm-hmm. There's a lot more intense physicality to it. Where oh, yeah. when you're tree stand hunting, there's almost no physicality to it, and you have to rely on a hundred percent on your strategy and your brain power. So Mm -hmm. that's why I quit it that way. It's like you, you know, it's, it's different and it has its moments like anything else, but it's, it, you're playing two different sports, like you're two different games, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and it takes two different skills for both. Like you have to have the patience to be able to sit mm -hmm. in a tree stand for hours and hours and yeah. I mean, imagine you thank God for phones nowadays. If you're in a tree stand and you got ser- service, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you could be set, I guess, yeah. you know, you sit there and you, you got the service to keep you entertained. But I mean, say you're in a tree stand with no service, you, you gotta be a special person to be able to entertain yourself for hours waiting yeah. for that it's one buck or funny. one bear to come through. It's funny that you say that because when I was before the advent of cell phones, I had no problem sitting up in a tree and just mm-hmm. imagining, you know, which way, oh, the yeah. deer, which way the deer would come, you know, occupying my mind with thoughts and just, you know, deep thinking. And now if I get up in a tree stand and I don't have cell phone service, I'm like a freaking lunatic. I'm like, Right, ADD isn't that crazy? Kicks in and I'm like, what the freak is going on? I need to do something. <laughs> it really shows you how spoiled the human fidgety. race has. Yeah. Yes. Yep. yep. Us humans have gotten definitely spoiled when it comes to technology. Yep. My nice. dad always had a rule: no phones in the tree stand. He can have his beer, obviously, but <laughs> I had to sit there. I got hot chocolate while he drank his beer and. I wouldn't trade those memories for the world, though. They, yeah. they raised me to be the woman that I am, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. There's times where I would choose to leave my phone, but my phone is now my mapping system. Mm-hmm. So especially when I'm out elk hunting and I'm in the backcountry, I 
I need that phone for sure. Or I'm getting lost. Yep. We all know that I'm I'm gonna get lost. <laughs> it's a thing. I've done it before. I'll probably do it again. That's another thing though. That's another thing that I noticed I've become tremendously dependent on. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't use it when I'm like predator hunting and stuff like that. So I have no problem mm-hmm. like, you know, walking a mile from the truck in whatever direction and just walking straight back to the truck and not, you know, I'm not completely, but, you know, if, if I'm out in the mountains and I'm hiking all day and just going every which way willy nilly, you got, you get used to using the phone and stopping and looking at topos and da, 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 whatever aerials and hybrid mode and this and that. And those woodsmanship skills start to fade away because you're not you're not paying attention to the things that you did previously because you got into the use of the fact that you didn't have to anymore right and, and I, I noticed that it's like it's not like quite a crutch yet for me but i could tell for those people who grew up with only that and didn't have you know the compass map or just you know go out and find your way back situations mm-hmm. growing up that they're they don't have that you know yeah. that skill set it's a it's a blessing and a curse you know so yeah, i can tell you i definitely get lazy when my phone's at 100 percent. you know I, i'll totally rely on onyx maps and mm. i got that map downloaded it's saved to the phone. I'm good to go. But once that phone starts hitting 10%, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start looking around like, okay, here's this landmark. I got to remember, here's this landmark. And it gets, it gets a little nerve wracking when your phone starts to, to fade away and you got to rely on pure based skill that you got to remember to tap into for sure. Yeah. I mean, same thing with the rangefinder. I mean, oh, absolutely. I've had rangefinder for a very long time, but even when the first 10 years of rangefinder at the rangefinder era we would do like this game we'd go to the 3d range and you know we wouldn't we'd never walk up to the pin we'd always shoot from wherever we saw the animal from mm-hmm. and we'd guess we'd all guess what the range was write that guess down on the on the card and mm-hmm. Then we'd range because we, you know, we didn't want to. Well, at first we didn't range. <laughs> we would all shoot, and then we we were losing too many arrows that way. And then we learned <laughs> right. that we started. We would just, you know, one person would range and be like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, fifty-six yards." And then you'd write their fifty-six down, and then we'd have this other game like who was who was also close, closest in guessing. So you'd have the two scores, and it was pretty cool. But and the winner bought dinner, right? Or the winner chose who bought dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but. Yeah, I would have to guess my range. Um, there was a specific hunt that I did. It was a turkey hunt. And me and this Tom were going back and forth what seemed like forever. But it had to be, I mean, I guess two hours. That's a pretty long time for oh, yeah, very long. you and a turkey to go back and forth with each other. And um, I... I finally got him to start getting closer. He started 400 yards out and then he, he slowly started to get started to get closer and I got him all the way in, but he kind of went and hid behind this juniper tree. And so I did a small spot and stock to kind of get in a shooting lane so mm-hmm. I can see him and I forgot my rangefinder, And so it, I had to kick into my skill base, I guess on my, on my memory and 
try to guess that yardage from 20 to 30. Okay. If this is 20, that would, you know, kind of doing the math, but all within five seconds of each other. Cause Turkey, once they see you there, there's out skis. Right. And I did not call this Turkey in for two hours just for him to spook and run off. And so I guessed a 32 yard shot and I drilled him. So I was pretty pumped on that, but I oh. would, prefer to yeah we'd all right we'd all rather know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd prefer to have a rangefinder tell me what to do instead it's, of me guessing and then especially on an elk or a muley it's one of the um, few technologies that i fully agree with because it's made it more ethical you know and it yes it takes know? away from some from some skills but at the same time it's like man especially when the you know the arrow speeds were a lot slower you're when you screwed up a range, you, your miss was a lot worse and uh, you wounded a lot more animals. So. Exactly. And archery itself is already hard. And then trying to add in guessing yardage. I mean, in a way it can make it easier because you're not having to sit there, guess the yardage and then dial your sight. Like I have a a single pin sight on my bow. So I I'll have to range it and then dial it to the the Mm. specific yardage. But, um, Cheers to the people who can guess the yardage pretty much 100% of the time. I I, I couldn't do that. I yeah. definitely rely on that that piece of equipment to help me just to put like ease my mind, especially when I'm taking that shot on an animal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like I'm still really good 40 yards and under. I'm mm-hmm. like pretty accurate to, you know, one or two yards. Even out to 50, I might be pretty good. But after that, it starts getting really wishy-washy. A little hazy. Yeah. So. You're like, is that 62 or is that like 67? Yeah. And then when you're out that far, you're shooting that far, that three, four yards makes a freaking huge difference. It so. really does. I mean, it it could be a kill shot or you could hit the air pocket and, mm-hmm. you know, that animal gets away. It, it At that point, it really determines that four yards. So. I actually just recently, two weeks ago, speaking of muleys, I put a shot on a muley and I I was just a little bit high and I think I hit him in that air pocket. Mm. I was, you know, it's, it's, and that's archery hunting. I, I try to, going back to the conversation of people don't know everything that goes into hunting and they think that we just kill animals, but all of us archers, if we've done it, you know, we've taken a shot on an animal and haven't retrieved the animal. I don't know. I I'd like to think that we've all done it. <laughs> we have. If anybody tells you they haven't, they're bullshitting you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'd be like, Oh, well then you're professional. I mean, even, and I don't want to bring up like big, big names, but I've, you know, Cameron Haynes and I, I feel like all of them have had failure stories mm-hmm. that have led to, their great success, you know, and that, that's something I try to keep with me is failure does lead to success. And just these past, like the two weeks ago, I glassed up three giant muleys. I I'm, they were beautiful. And, um, I put a stock on them. They were about two miles out and I put an amazing stock on them. They were on the North side of a Ridge. And so I kind of went back behind them, you know, keeping thermals in mind and that wind. And I was going to jump up behind the ridge and kind of come up on top of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in my head, I'm like, you know, this is a wild 
wild shot. We'll see if we can do it. They're super far out. They might be gone by then. So I, you know, my motto is to just don't think about it and just do it. Mm-hmm. So I went out and I just did it and I popped up on top of this ridge and I looked down and I popped out 40 yards away from these giant, giant mule deer. I mean, they had to be about 200 inch mule deer. Yeah. And talk about adrenaline. I mean, one, I'm already tired because I just hiked uh, like, I don't know, from Egypt to get to these deer and hiked all the way up. And, you know, you go to take, pull up your bow and take the shot on an animal mm-hmm. and I, you're just so tired and so fatigued already. And then, of course, they moved. So, okay, I'm just going to go back to the whole story. Uh, so when I get when I got on top of the ridge, I looked down. They're still bedded down. And I ranged the buck that I had been looking at. He was 40 yards in front of me, bedded down. And so I pulled back, ready to shoot. And I was raking leaves and stuff to try and like get him to pop up. So as he popped up, I take the shot. Um, Well, I couldn't see his body. So when he popped up, his butt, I mean, he couldn't have been better facing me with his butthole. Like his butt was literally right. It was shining bright like a diamond. Uh Uh-huh. And, um, so I let in and I kind of just watched him and he walked forward a little bit. So I, I put another stock trying to get a little closer and kind of went around these, this oak brush. And I, I saw his antlers and he was raking, raking bushes and doing what deer do. And so I pulled back again and I just sat there waiting for him to move forward but he, he was just having fun with the bushes. And so I felt like I was in full draw for over a minute and my arms started to shake. I was getting very, very fatigued. I was not holding my bow steady, but if I let in, he would have seen me. Mm. So it was either spook this deer or just tough it out. And finally he stepped out and gave me a shooting lane to the, the sweet money spot. But I just couldn't stabilize that bow and I shot a little high. And I, I searched three or four days for that deer following the blood trail and never found him. So I think he's going to be okay. I think he's alive, but, um, it's one of those, it's that moment, you know, you, you shot an awesome deer, you put an awesome hunt, an awesome stock on him, but it just, it didn't come together in the end, but failure leads to success. And so with this buck that I got this week, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really focused on shot placement and I really focused on taking my time with the shot. And, uh, that's what I think ultimately led to the success of this muley I got this week. So yeah, he's an awesome I buck. That, I saw him on Instagram. Yeah. He's a good looking, good looking buck. Yeah. I'm pretty pumped. Um, and what's cool is my daughter spotted him the night before. So that's awesome. uh, I named him after her. <laughs> which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I tell her when we're driving in the car, looking for deer, uh, my, basically my kids grow up in the car. We're always looking for deer or elk. So if they see a deer or an elk, they get a quarter or a dollar if it has antlers above its ears. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I try to get them involved as much as I can. It's important. Yeah. It's important to kind of get them all. Oh, my dog mm-hmm. will not shut up. I don't know if you're going to in the background. <laughs> What kind of dog you got? I have two Vishlas. One's eight and the other one's one. Oh, Muffins? Yeah, he's uh, 
it's actually the older one that's barking right now. I don't know what the heck's up, up with him, but usually he's the chill one. And the, the puppy is a freaking, oh my God, he's a maniac. And <laughs> my, my oldest, the older one is he's, he's the best dog that ever lived. He is like a human being, just super duper awesome, chilled, understands everything you say to him, very obedient does everything and I, and and so i went and i the the puppy is actually he is the puppy's like great uncle okay you know so he's from the same bloodline went to the same breeder i was like hoping to strike gold twice and the the puppy's just a he's a freaking neurotic maniac like he's up your ass Every time you go to pet him, if you're talking like a high-pitched voice, he pees all over the damn place. He's a, <laughs> oh, God. He's a puppy. <laughs> he's really taking puppy. He's taking that name and running oh with it, my, isn't he? Yeah, he's – oh, my God. <laughs> you but, could have a crazy household like mine, and I decided to get two Great Danes. Oh, Jesus. Those are big. A, yeah, a wiener dog and a duck dog. So, Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I feel you on the whole dog house barking thing we got enough and i don't have any yard for them so you know they're like your house is their yard obviously right yeah exactly (laughs) yeah i live in a uh, my my neighborhood you know we live on a third of an acre not even it's like tiny there's no room plus i have a pool so there's like really no room back there they don't they don't know what to do with themselves so Unless they want to go swimming, of course. I train. I trained the big guy how to shed hunt. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, and he's he was really good at it. But I never took him because shed hunting season here is also snake season. So it's like, you know, you said snake, yeah, like rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I live in Arizona. There's a shit ton of rattlesnakes here, so. I was just, I never took them and I'm not much of a shed hunter anyway. I I, I thought that I would become one because of this. And Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't, but anyhow, so let's, let's talk a little bit about mule hunting, mule deer hunting. Let's, um, kind of like pick apart what you, like your approach to the season and, uh, you know, maybe get into some, some tactics. Cause I mean, from what I've seen, you've killed some pretty good looking, good looking bucks, you know? So I'd love to, love to pick your brain a little bit and and see how you approach it. My brain's open for the picking. Um, yeah, I, there's something about mule deer that I absolutely love. I'm obsessed with, you know, elk is, is close to them, but they're just, they're amazing animals and, you know, you, you got to respect them Mm -hmm. and in order to really know, know them. So for me, mule deer season, archery season's just a month out here in Utah. And of course you have the extended archery. But to me, it's a, it's a year long thing. So I am constantly around deer. If it's not archery season, then I'm going to, you know, be out there watching them rut, see where they're rutting, see, you know, how they're acting, what's around. And then from there, you know, they start to go to their winter ranges. And that's, that's, that's a whole nother thing is to watch their migration from when, where they start rutting or where they end the rut. Mm-hmm. to where they start migrating into these areas. And I'm a very big shed hunter and I love shed hunting. It's a whole nother season for me. Um, mm-hmm. And usually when shed hunting is starting, that means, okay, after shed hunting, we got turkey season. After turkey seasons, trail cameras, trail cameras, it's archery season. So 
watching the deer migrate is a very big deal for me, especially knowing where to look for their antlers and getting out there and, and hiking and getting in shape for the upcoming seasons. And then from there, I just continue to watch when, you know, you watch the weather, you watch how the winter was. I mean, this year in Utah, the winter was so harsh. I knew the deer would be acting a little bit different um, based off, mm-hmm. you know, last year's, last year, or the past two years, it's been pretty hot. And so what I noticed with the deer this year is they migrated later and they stayed up higher. So I've been finding most of my muleys up high on those, not like on top of a ridge, but I'd say three quarters up a mountain and that that's where I've been spotting most of them. Mm. Uh, and so it, it's, there's a lot to, to learn a lot to take into consideration when, when hunting muleys and, and it's usually stuff that you don't usually think, Oh, I should probably take that into consideration last year's winter. I should take into consideration of this year's fall archery hunt. And it, it you, you have to, you totally have to. So hold on. Um, I want to make sure that I heard you right. So you had a really bad winter, which would, mm-hmm. made, which would, in my opinion, so the, um, the way the way I think about it is, you have a bad winter, they're going to come out of the elevation and drop down to lower elevation to get out of the super cold and deeper snow. Yeah. Okay. During yeah during the winter. Yep, during the winter. So now mm-hmm. that the winter is over, they when they migrated back up, you were saying that they went up higher. Yeah. From uh, here in Utah, I'm not, I don't know about, I I guess other deer out in Idaho or, I mean, usually I guess it can range from state to state, but I, I feel like muleys kind of, I mean, they're deer. So, right. but from what I've noticed this year, yeah. So their migration started earlier and they went to their winter ranges, probably even lower. Like so, there, I was finding antlers even lower than their usual winter range areas. And now this year, since Utah got so much rain I'm, and we had a really good monsoon season as well. Mm. Um, so we, we did get a, a lot of moisture. I think there's just, they have everything they need up on top. And so they got food, they got water, they got shelter up there. So I'm not seeing as many deer down below as I'm seeing up high. Got it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's a way for them to get out of the heat too. Yeah. So I think a lot of the bigger bucks are staying up higher and I'm seeing a lot more does, spikes, little forkies down lower. And I think they're going to start moving around, especially with the hunting pressure happening too. Mm-hmm. So things are going to start changing. We'll probably see more coming in to the lower elevations as it gets closer to the rut, as they start stripping their velvet. But right now I've been hunting them higher. I've been looking three quarters up a mountain. Uh, that's where I've been spotting them. So, and that's where I spotted that buck. I took a shot on. That's why I was so dang tired by the time I got to him. Cause it was like two miles straight uphill. And I, I feel like I could definitely take on a mountain now. Like I can <laughs> I feel like I can run up it for sure. You got, <laughs> the way I hiked up that thing. You got but... your hunting legs underneath you. Oh yeah. yeah. I was just having that conversation with somebody. Um, oh, it's my cousin Anthony. We were we went bear hunting for two days last weekend. I don't have a deer tag here in Arizona because I shot one in January, mm-hmm. so I'm done for the year. And bear just opened 
simultaneously with deer and uh i'm like all right whatever let's go bear hunting and i have not hunted yet this year which is mm-hmm. odd for me normally i start in july i'll go blacktail hunting in california and then uh in august i'm either hunting here or i actually i'll come to utah and or if i drew a tag somewhere special like i had nevada a couple of years ago i had Anyway, either way, sometimes I'm usually hunting muleys. <laughs> I'm usually hunting <laughs> yeah. muleys in, in August at some point, and then early September, even sometimes I'll do mule deer and elk combination, or maybe even in August I might do antelope. Like last year, I went to New Mexico for a couple of days and did antelope. Yeah, but this year I didn't do any of that. We went. Uh, my family and I went to Italy in june which ate up a lot of my uh discretionary funds Mm -hmm. it was super nice got a good time and the other thing is i took off so much time off of work to do that and i'm i'm in the pool industry so swimming pool industry which is my summertime is my busiest time so i didn't want to take even more time away from it crazy it's been crazy work so lo and behold i didn't hunt this whole time and man hunt just hiking I think we did five miles. I'm like, I walk around five miles just in my day to day. I look at my steps all the time. And I did five miles and I was just like wrecked. <laughs> I was <Right>. like, <laughs> my first real hunt is elk hunting. And I typically do somewhere between eight to 12 miles a day, you mm-hmm. know, on an elk hunt with, you know, at least a thousand foot elevation change. Yep. I'm like, there's no freaking way I'm going to be ready for this. Shit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm dying already, but yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to going, but I'm not looking forward to the fact that I'm not ready for it. So. Yeah. At that point, you either got to just dive in and, and I guess just do it as you go. Yep. yep. <laughs> deal with it as you go along. If you're dying, then you can just deal with you dying yeah. as you're, as you're going. That's well, how I do it. Lucky for me, if there's, elk bugling or if i know there's a buck on the ridge or whatever it doesn't matter like my you work it i switch my i switch mm-hmm. if i'm walking back to the house or something like that or i'm walking back to the truck or, or whatever that's a different scenario oh my god i'm gonna go kill this dog right now <laughs> you can kill him in the middle of the podcast yeah, they're fighting right outside of my, they're both like play fighting right outside my door right now <laughs> I might have to go reprimand them. Give me one second here. I'm sorry. Otherwise- well, and then to um, touch base on the the whole like difference in in hiking when you're elk hunting compared to mule deer hunting. So when I was putting that stock on those two bucks, you know, I had to be quiet. Yeah. With mule deer, you you yeah, you gotta be them. you gotta be quiet. You know, you're you're putting a stock on them and. With elk, I, I, I'd say I'm a pretty good caller. I'm not professional or anything, but I, I know how to call elk in. Um, and so when you're putting a stock on them, the quieter you are, the more alert those elk are going to be. So if you're just walking and you don't care how quiet you're, you are and you give off, you know, cow chirps here and there, mm-hmm. they're, they're yeah, just going to They think it's another elk, yeah. Exactly. Especially if you, if you got the wind right. They can't smell you. You know, you you take a stock on those bulls and get get within range and the wind is on your side. I would be I would act like an elk and and 
give off chirps. Whereas mule deer, you got to be quiet. Don't run into those dead leaves on the mountain or the oak brush that sound so very loud when it is so very quiet on that mountain. Here's a, here's a little here's a little pro tip for you. Yeah, you, you exactly. Could, you, could, you could still sound like an elk when you're hunting mule deer, and they're they're probably not going to take off. If you that make is true. if you make a loud noise that you don't want to make, you know, kick a rock, break branches, whatever, give a cow chirp. It'll ease mm-hmm. those. It'll ease those does down or those bucks down rather. I've done it. I actually finally got it on film a couple of years ago. I was guiding a mule deer client, and it was the that week leading up to our elk season here. So I knew the elk were being kind of vocal and stuff, and we saw this buck, and I, I was like, man, we don't really have a lot of cover between us and that buck. So before we left the bush that I was in, I bugled and they didn't even lift up their heads. I'm like, okay, Hmm. cool. So I just, we kept going tree to tree and I would just like cow call and tree to tree. And they never, like, they must've saw movement out of the corner of their eyes, but because I was making, you know, elk sounds, they didn't care. Unfortunately, my client missed, but we got in range and it worked. So that's awesome though. I see with where I hunt out here, there's not too, it's not an elk unit. There's not too mm. many elk. Like it said, there is elk there and there is, there is elk on this unit, but where I'm hunting deer, there's, there's no elk, none. It's right. just the deer and moo cow. So I guess in a way I can act like a, moo a big old moo cow and just start mooing Absolutely. <laughs> and see if that works. Uh, moo cow I don't know works. how to do a good moo sound though. Awesome. Could I tell you, I've had the guys at uh, Montana decoy made me my own special decoys. I gave them a couple of photos to build me some special moo cow decoys. Really? And, yeah. Because every year I guide in South Dakota and the ranch that I hunt is a cattle ranch. It's a working cattle ranch. Uh-huh. And, uh, man, we use moo cows like crazy over there. And I've, I've done it in California. I've done it here in Arizona using a moo cow decoy. And then I remember the first time I had that realization, so I'm supposed to be picking your brain and I'm sitting here talking, but, uh, oh, no, this is perfect. Cause <sighs> I'm, I'm learning right now too. So, so th- this was on blacktail, which is basically a mule deer anyway, but, there was all this like switch grass. It, it was impossible to get through it without making noise. Like you, yeah. could, I would crawl on my hands and my knees and go like one step, one step every like 10 minutes, you know, to get. Mm-hmm. And I realized that the freaking cows would just walk through it and just, they sound so loud. And I mean, you can hear them 500 yards away. No problem. You can hear them just moving, just walking. Yeah. So I started making, I started, I would crawl because it would keep my silhouette in, in the, in the, uh, switchgrass, but mm-hmm. I didn't care about how much noise I was making. I just started mooing, <laughs> you know, every once in a while I'd let out a, you know, and, uh, just with your mouth, just yeah, like a moo, just a moo with my mouth. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was able to get within range and on this buck, oh, at least I thought I was in range. I was getting all kinds of crazy ranges on my range fund. I, I end up missing that freaking deer by or shot right over his back, but it worked. And I, again, I was like, Oh, this is, you know, keep that in the mental Rolodex. I've done so many crazy things. Like, so whitetail hunting, 
mm-hmm. one of the things I did for a long time, and I still do, is going into a stand set. If I got to go through a lot of leaves and it's you know not dark and like I'm not going in there in the morning, if I'm like going to like an afternoon, I will go through the leaves and like skip, you know, and like do the same cadence that a buck chasing a doe would make. Yeah. Like that. I can't tell you how many times I've called in deer. They come running in because they think it's another buck chasing a doe. That is awesome. (laughs) It's the craziest thing. And the reason why I made that realization was I was trying to clear a path. I had gotten down from my stand and I'm like, I want to clear a path to the field edge from this woodlot that I'm in. This was in Illinois. So that I could be quiet coming in here, you know, and I was kicking the leaves to make a path, you mm-hmm. know, kicking them aside. And here comes this freaking buck comes running in full speed right at me. Just ready to fight you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he's ready. He's, he's hot and ready. And you're just probably standing there like, what do I do now? Yep. Yep. And he was small. I didn't, oh, that's why I didn't shoot him. But you know, yeah. it was like, I, you know, I've, I got a million stories like that. I could tell you but um anyway let's go back let's go back to picking (laughs) picking your brain about so when you're when you're looking for a mule deer spot like you know i heard that you were like you you, you're doing um the shed hunting you're watching them Mm -hmm. year round what are some of the things that you're you notice that about the habitat that they occupy this time of year or whatever like what are the things that you're looking for specific like to landscape and vegetation and all that stuff that you tend to find deer in? So what well, obviously um, being out here, Southern Utah, it's hot. I, I think right now it's, it's 91 degrees. So water is always a big thing. Mm-hmm. If there is just even the smallest amount of water, um, I'll start, at springs or I'll go on onyx maps and literally zoom in and, and study the maps just square foot by square foot looking for potential water troughs or any source of water that these deer can be getting Mm -hmm. water from because every species, every animal needs water. Um, so I do start there and then, and if I find water, I go, like you said, to vegetation, if there's bitter brush, um, oak brush, and then I start looking at ridges, elevation changes, how many ridges are around. And then from there, if I find good vegetation, if there's shade for them, if there's a lot of kind of north facing slopes that they can be, you know, finding shade in during the day, I'll go take a look. And that's when I really tend to figure out if there's bucks or not is when I, I'll get out on foot and I'll go do the work and and track, see if there's any deer sign, fresh deer sign, fresh deer tracks. And a big part of my, my season is trail cameras. Now mm. you, Utah put a, yeah. And Utah's, Utah's getting there. Uh, you have to take them down by July 31st, but that gives me enough time. It gives me the time that I need to figure out, you know, what's moving through that area. So, um, you know, after I, I check Onyx maps for water, food, um, potential shelter, all that fun stuff, that's when I'll go hiking in, looking for fresh sign, and then I'll put some cameras up and I'll leave them there 
for two or three weeks, go check them and see what's moving through. And if I don't see anything, then I just move on. I, I mean, I run cameras. I, I probably have 20, 25 cameras that I run just mm. in my small area for deer. And I'm, I'm constantly on the lookout for new areas too. So like that, the area of those bucks that I put a stock on, that was a brand new area. I had just seen deer migrating off of that it's like a four ridge kind of mountain. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a bunch of does migrating down those ridges and I'm like, yeah, well, there's does, there's obviously bucks. So I hiked two and a half miles in just to get on top of a mountaintop and just glass those ridges. And lo and behold, I found a good old bachelor group. So, and it's always nice finding new areas to, to hunt new areas to really explore, but that's kind of how I, I go into it. I, I use Onyx maps a lot looking at that. And then, a lot of it's just getting my butt out there and, and going on a hike before season. What What is it See. that you're looking for on Onyx that tells you? So I look for the water sources, springs. I look for deep, kind of like a deep green area. Usually that tells me there could be potential spring or water that no one really knows about. Um, mm -hmm. I'll look for the different, in, like the difference in slopes. So how, how steep a ridge can be, how steep it isn't. And then again, how thick, how thick it is on those slopes and potential vegetation that the deer like to eat. So a lot of, if I can see a lot of bitter brush or oak brush, things that, you know, mule deer find that's appealing, right. yeah. I guess that's where I, I, I tend to look for on Onyx. So cool. And it works out. I guess yeah. <laughs> 70% of the time. I, I mean, I'll, I'll find a buck. It, it, it could be a nice little spike or it can be a, a good old six by six. I mean, yep. you never know until you go check it out. So I don't, if I have a spot, I'm one of those people that if I have a spot on my mind, I'm not going to forget or I'll just sit there and think about that spot over and over until I go check it out. So I, hear, I, hear I end you. up, Yeah. <laughs> It's like an obsessive thing, really. I just get obsessed with, all right, there. And I do that with elk, too. The same thing with elk. I'll sit there about a spot and I'll obsess over it until I go check it out and see what it's about. That's awesome. I find that a lot of people are that are successful have that very same mentality. Yeah, it's a, I, I'd have to say it's like a, a dedication, a persistence. And that, that's one thing I, I wanted to mention too is about mule deer hunting and how it got me like mule deer. I, I, my first animal with a bow was a mule deer and I'd have to say mule deer is what our proper grammar is our, <laughs> I don't know, one of those grammatical <laughs> things. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the reason I dove into more knowledge about hunting. Like my first I'd have to say my first trophy buck, him and I played tag. I don't know if you've ever found a buck and just got obsessed with this one, one deer or one elk or whatever. Mm -hmm. yep. But I mean, I hunted this deer all season long and archery for Utah is a month long. And I refused to go anywhere else. But at this spot, I knew he'd come out on. And so every time I'd sit in the blind or I'd, I'd hunt this spot, I'd never see him. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to give that spot a break. 
lo and behold, I go out there and he's out there. And so we're just playing this game. <laughs> I don't, it's, it's just a game that we're playing. And, um, from that moment on, I was like, you know what? I'm not moving the spot. And so two days before season ended that deer, he screwed up and I was able to army crawl 50 or 54 yards to him or from him and got an awesome shot on him. Um, and I was able to get this deer that I had hunted all season long and worked so hard for. And that's, that's a thing about hunting and archery hunting and especially elk and mule deer. I mean, persistence is such a big key for me when it comes to hunting persistence and dedication. I, that, that's, those are the two I'd have to say why I've been successful in the mule deer hunting anyway. I'm very persistent. I will not give up until I work as hard as I could and the season's over. That forces me to give up, but I won't ever give up until then. And it's all about dedication and putting in that work even Mm -hmm. before season, which is what I do with scouting. You know, I just, hunting's a lifestyle to me. It's not just a season. It's all year long and I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way. So who's got the bigger bucks, you or your, you or your husband? Um, uh, I, I, he's <laughs> going to listen to this, but it's one hundred percent me. And because <laughs> right, I saw a couple of pictures of your husband holding deer, and I'm like, oh yeah, she's <laughs> kicking his ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like nope. I said, I I get obsessive over it. So when I get obsessed with something, I get persistent and very dedicated. So I put in that work and. Those bucks he he got, they're good bucks, but uh, guess who guess who took them to them? Yeah, <laughs> good old Jessica. But I'm I'm pumped. I mean, it's good to have a partner you can hunt with and share those memories with. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you were mm-hmm. telling me about hunting and you were pregnant, my wife did that too. She actually killed her first elk when she was, I think, seven. Seven or eight, yeah, she might have been eight months, seven, at least seven months pregnant, maybe oh, eight months. Molly. And uh, it, it was a rifle hunt. That's still but, seven, eight months pregnant. But she was, she was a freaking trooper too, because it was rifle hunting season here. It's like, oh my god, it's like World War Two. Oh yeah, I bet. And, um, you know, but it's uh, or I should say World War Three because we've already had World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think uh, you got it right. It's but, like World War Two, yeah. so. <laughs> I, I yeah. had a mental image of what your rifle season is. Yeah, there's a lot of trench warfare going on. Absolutely, it's pretty scary. <laughs> I was actually fearing for her life at one point. So, but um, yeah, but you dirt bike too, don't you? Yeah. Um. So that was what I used to do before hunting kind of took over. Is I used to race dirt bikes and I'd model and do the whole number girl and and be the not, it's not a monster girl. It was, it was, but it was like that. It wasn't to this, the high standard of a monster girl, but it was, it was like that. I go to the supercross events and work those and yeah, dirt bikes, they're, they're fun. They're dangerous and yeah. Oh man, but they are, they are fun to ride. And it comes in handy too when you know how to ride a dirt bike and you need to go shed hunting. So those, those two go hand in hand. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep, absolutely. So walk me through a stalk. You you found a buck, 
laying up on a ridge. You, you think you got the wind right. What is going through your mind? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, I know it's very hard without having to see the situation. I'm trying to paint the picture for you, but I can't right now for some reason. I don't know. Talk me. Yeah, talk no, me through I it. totally talk me. Through yeah, it. I get Try. what you're saying. Maybe pick, um, maybe pick one. Maybe pick one of your one of your biggest bucks or your better bucks and walk me through that stock. Oh boy. Um. So I have ADHD, and you could probably tell that on this. No, <laughs> um, not at all. Just talking to me for a little bit. Um, I love to talk, and so you know, talking to another person is something else. But when I'm I I predominantly hunt on my own. Mm-hmm. I like to hunt on my own. I don't have to deal with, you know, what if this person wants to go this way or, you know, it's, it's just nice to kind of have myself to argue with, which is already an argument in itself. So <laughs> say I'm up on a ridge and I, I spot three, four, four bucks out on a ridge and they're just eating and having a jolly old time. I usually will have an argument with myself in my head and it, it'll take a good 10 to 15 minutes to really figure out, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And I've had people be like, you know what, Jess, you need to stop thinking and you just need to go do it. What was your first initial reaction and go do it. And usually I will do my first initial reaction, but I have to argue with myself for a little bit. <laughs> so it's very rare that I'll, it depends on the time. But if the time is good and I know I'll have time to put a stock on that deer, mm-hmm. then I'll go ahead and, and make that that decision. And that, based off that decision to go ahead and put a stock on this deer, um, wind is such a big, big factor for me. I got to figure out where they're at on the ridge, time of day, what the thermals are going to be doing, if they're going to be going down, if I need to, you know, climb on top of the ridge before them and kind of, I guess, top hill it over to them because usually they'll be like three quarters high Mm -hmm. or, you know, is the wind, I guess I'd be doing that if the wind was going up, if the wind's going down, Mm -hmm. you know, do I start low and then kind of get behind them, climb the ridge behind them where the wind is kind of, you know, at my face and get on top of them. Like I did that stock before that I talked about, um, so it's all based off the wind. And then at that point, I try to stay in the shadows as much as possible, especially if I'm in, if I can see them, they can see me, mm-hmm. you know, especially if there's any type of movement going on. I'm holding a big bow. Yes, I'm in camo, but yeah, you know, if there's invisible. movement, it's, <laughs> exactly. They're, they're going to, movement will catch their eyes. So I try to stay to the shadows as much as possible. If the sun you know, if there's, it's beating down on a juniper, I'll just go shadow to shadow and try to get my way across to where they can't see me. And like this stock two weeks ago, there was so many does in the way of this stock. So having, they were three ridges over. And so I, I argued with myself cause I was already on top of a ridge. If I should just go up above them and circle back and get them that way. But I, I figured they would probably win to me. So I decided to go back down, even though it was a lot longer and harder work, Yeah. but hard work pays off. So I went back down and I just played that wind, but I spooked so many does out. I thought I was a goner, but 
I'm guessing the, the moo cows probably helped me out on that because those does probably get spooked out from moo cows going up and down that ravine all the time. So as long as I stayed in those shadows, they didn't see me and they couldn't see my movement. They just saw does running here and there. I was on the safe side and it, it's hard too. Cause you, it's so thick where I put a stock on them. It was, I couldn't even see the does until it was too late. So getting back to it, I went around and I ended up on top of them and I just, it involves a lot of tripping, but I'm constantly alert. I'm, I'm constantly, my eyes are, are looking, you know, if they moved up over the ridge, if there's any movement, my eyes are looking for that movement, looking for antlers, um, and just trying to be as quiet as possible at the same time. Are you a wait till they bed down or were you putting a stalk on them while they were still up feeding? So this specific time, I watched them until they bedded down. And I guess it, it all depends on the time of day. So mm-hmm. for that stock, it was later in the day. And if I would have waited any longer, I would have been fighting time to get a shot in. Right. Um, just based off the sun and whatnot. But if it was in the morning and they were eating, you know, I could glass them, keep an eye on them and wait for them to bed down. That would give me a little bit more time to get to them. So that really just depends on the time of day for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I did fight myself on that one. Should I watch them bed down, put them to bed and then get after it first thing in the morning and be where I need to be. But something, you know, a lot of it is gut feeling too. And my gut feeling was, hey, you need to go after them now. Mm-hmm. And it's also very hard to put on a stock like that too when you are by yourself. I didn't have any spotters, so I didn't have anybody who still had eyes on the deer. Right. And so you don't even know if they're still there. Yeah. So once I left, it was all just hopes and dreams that I'd come up on top of them. Um, at the landmark that I gave myself when putting the stock on. So speaking and, of the landmark, that was going to be my next question to you. I'm glad you brought it up. What <laughs> what, are, what are you doing? You know, I, everybody has their own little tricks and tactics of how to do this. Like, how are you, you know, marking in your head where these deer are at? That's, that's a good question. I, I usually... I count, so this specific time I counted the ridges. So there were three ridges over. I knew, okay, this was the first, second, third. They're on this third ridge. And I just kind of made mental notes. They're three quarters up. And I, I would just, I, it's nice to have photographic memory. Okay. So I would look around them, what's around them. Okay, there's a, kind of just a grassy spot. There's no bushes right here about, I guess, four o'clock from them, just 10 yards below them. They're bedded in a spot that is very thick oak brush. And it's the only spot on that ridge that is very, very thick with that type of terrain. Mm -hmm. And so I used where that oak brush, where they were at as kind of like my landmark. It was the only oak brush on that side of the ridge. And I mean, there was some, you know, there's some here and there, but it was like a giant piece where it would have sucked if I was hiking through it. Like I probably wouldn't have been able to hike through it. Oh yeah. So I use that terrain, that landscape as kind of like a, a guide for when I got on top of the ridge. Okay. There's a big 
thing of oak brush right here. That means they're right there. And that's exactly what happened when I hit that top of the ridge. I looked to my right and there was all the oak brush. And then barely inside the oak brush, I started to see the antlers just moving. And um, I was like, all right. All right, Jess, you're on the right track. You know what so I'll now. use stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and it was nice, too, to know that they were bedded down before I took off. Right. Um, and then they were up feeding mm-hmm, again exactly. by, the time, by the time you got there. Well, mm-hmm. do you ever use, because uh, you said you use Onyx a lot, do you ever use Onyx to, like, find and then drop a pin approximately where they're at? And then yes. That way you can completely dip out of sight and maneuver your way yep. over there? Yep. I, um, I'll do that with elk hunting a lot because elk hunting, you're just, you're so much for me anyway, like you can go out in the back country, find big muleys, um, all the time, or and I guess not all the time, but they're out there. But with me, I like to go as deep as I can for elk. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Onyx becomes kind of an important part of my hunt because I can glass up an elk pretty far away. Right look on onyx kind of see where he's at see that general area yeah and then kind of use onyx based off ridges elevation how steep certain areas are i mean onyx will tell you that stuff and you can't see it with the naked eye because you're on one side of the mountain you know and then too once you get to that ridge like this just happened to me two weekends ago i spotted up three bulls and they were like three mountain peaks away. (laughs) And again, I argued with myself, should you walk that far? Yes, you should. Yes, Mm -hmm. you should (laughs) walk that far, Jessica. You got it. And I used to be cross country and track runner. So endurance and distance isn't, it doesn't, I don't care about it at all. I'll go forever. But so I just started hiking and I reached the spot where I saw those bulls and they went up and over the ridge. And I figured that they bed down on the side of the ridge that they kind of went up and over. Mm -hmm. And so I used, I set a pin on Onyx of where to go and play the wind and all that. I actually found a wallow too on my way there, which was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, And so I'll be hunting that this weekend actually. Anyway, um, so I got to the spot where I saw those three bulls and I got there based off the pin. It would have been very difficult to find it if I didn't pin it when I did. Um, sadly I don't, those bulls ended up, I think going another ridge over or kind of more down the ridge. So I wasn't able to get on them, but it's good learning experience. You know, having something like that, you, you glass up animals, you do that hike, you put that work in. And like I said, failure leads to success. And I try to keep that optimism every time I'm out hunting, but that's awesome. Yeah. I'll use land landmarks. Good mindset. Yep. I try anyway. It's, it's a working, pro- I mean, I'm sure you've faced your frustrations and your, your give up moments, but yeah. as long as you don't let those overtake you and control what you do, mm-hmm. um, success is just around the corner. Usually if you just keep at it. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, well, I enjoyed talking to you. This was, uh, I, I, I should have got into some more questions and I should have prepared myself a little bit better to ask you the questions that I, that I wanted to, but, uh, we'll definitely talk about having you back on and, uh, 
I'll get uh, I'll get my thoughts organized a little bit better. Pick, pick <laughs> yeah, you're brain. totally fine. Pick, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I got a lot of information up in that brain. I as you can probably tell, I I love to talk. So whenever you want to talk, I'm I am here to talk for hours. Awesome. I appreciate yeah. you. Where where can uh, the listeners uh, find out more about you and follow along with your adventures? Yeah. So if they could go on Instagram, they can follow me on Instagram on J Brigade. I post a lot of my hunts, my harvests, anything I'm doing is on Instagram and TikTok is another big one for me. Mm-hmm. If they just look up Jessica Reveal, I'll pop up. And of course, TikTok's a little bit more difficult. It's censored, but I, I think I... I find good ways to get around that good old censorship of TikTok, but those are, those are the two main platforms that they can find me at. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thank you. Hey guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.